Amen. Thank you, Rochelle. Giving honor to the King. It is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who is worthy of all of our praise and all of our honor. It is he who is the heavenly shepherd of his church. And he has chosen to do magnificent things in our church. I want to say this, it is not because of the brilliance of any staff member. You don't have any brilliant staff members, <laughs> including myself. It is not the brilliance of any staff member, the planning, the scheming, the, uh, the forethought. It is God who has blessed our church in a remarkable way. You see, see, it's a magnificent thing to be part of a church that honors the New Testament order of churches. You say, what is that? A congregational government. I'm not going to harp on that again this morning. I harped last week. That was enough harping for everyone for a little while. But congregational government, meaning that our church, the members of this church, have a say in what the church does. That's a remarkable thing because more and more in our area even, it is becoming increasingly rare. But when you follow the plan we outlined in Acts chapter 15 last week, when you follow the plan of listening to the voice of the apostles, listening to the voice of the pastors, and listening to the voice of the congregation, when you follow that plan, you can be assured that the outcome will be the will of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the heavenly administrator of his church. And so if you go, if you miss any of those steps or ignore any of those voices, you can't be sure where you're going to end up. You can't. Well, Pastor Monty, the, the pastors ought to just comprise a committee and rule the church. That's happening in a lot of churches. That is not biblical, and you cannot be certain with that kind of scheme. Equal elder rule is what they call it. You cannot be certain with that kind of unbiblical scheme that you're going to end up in a biblical place. But what you can be certain of is this. When the three voices of Acts chapter 15 are followed, God will reveal himself. Last Sunday night, as you're, most of you are aware, we had a business meeting. I think it's fair to say I didn't really count attendance at business meetings much, but it was probably one of the largest, if not the largest, attended business meeting of my entire pastorate here. Hundreds of people came. By the way, we're going to have another one tonight. No, just kidding, just kidding. I'm just trying to attract a crowd, okay? No, we're not, we're not. We have to announce that several services in advance, et cetera, et cetera. But, but um, very, very large business meeting. And during the course of the service, we opened a forum for people to talk about the business at hand, which was the purchase of the adjacent 16 acres and house and two classroom buildings that the church will need. Uh, we discussed it. And I want to say this, I was so glad with the input from the congregation. You were allowed to speak your mind, ask questions. That was a lot to be putting on people that quickly. You spent money, how come you had to put all the information on us that quickly? We did not know all the details until just a few days before. The details were still being ironed out. There was a lot of things to iron out. And so if we started talking about it way prior to that, then things change and things move and all of those kind of things. And, uh, and I did not even have a unanimous recommendation of our deacons. I was actually on a hunting trip when that came through, and I'm thankful for it deacons for that. I was on a hunting trip during that time, so it was a matter of days before the meeting that we had all the facts that we could present to the congregation. What was a huge blessing to me, and I will be quite frank with you, a little bit of a surprise. 
was that the vote was unanimous in the purchase of that ground. I, I was actually, I was taken back. My wife said she got teary over that because she knew how worried I had, oh, wait, wait, I wasn't worried, I'm a pastor, we don't worry. We get concerned. <laughs> Concern on steroids. She knows that things like that make me a little jumpy. She said it actually made her teary because she thought to herself, good, I don't have to listen to this anymore. <laughs> There's more truth than that than I really care to admit. But anyway, anyway, uh, the, Lord, the Lord spoke, the Lord spoke through the congregation. The three voices were heeded and the Lord spoke through the congregation. And sometimes congregational church government can be messy. In this case, the Lord was very crystal clear. Now here's the good news, here's the good news. Friday, the church closed on the property next door. It's all done, it's all done. The church will take possession of the property in 10 days, 10 days or so, something like that. So I, I wanna say thank you, church congregation. I appreciate your prayer. And this actually leads into a segue to what I wanna talk about. I'm just preaching a message on the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, you say, well, Pastor Marty, you just said that uh, our church is a good church and things are going good, but if you know anything about the church of Corinth, the church of Corinth wasn't exactly on the right track sometimes. Well, you're in 1 Corinthians 12, but take your Bible, hold your finger there, take your Bible over to chapter one. The church at Corinth was also a uniquely blessed church. But the church at Corinth had issues, as does every church. Oh, Pastor Monty, when we came to Faith Baptist, we just found the perfect church. No, you didn't. You must be blind, deaf, and dumb all at the same time. No, no. There's no such thing as a perfect church, but there are churches that sincerely want to do what God wants them to do. I don't, by the way, if you can confront me, and I know some people like this idea, I don't, and it's never gonna happen here. Pastor Monty, what's your five-year plan? Somebody asked me that, I don't have a plan. I don't have a plan. I hope someday on my tombstone, it simply reads, he didn't have a plan. That would be fine. I don't have that kind of thing because I want to be open to the Holy Spirit's leading and to opportunities that the Holy, by the way, I'm sure now that I've said that, that's exactly what will happen, I'm sure. Well, Pastor Monty said, okay, chisel it on my tombstone. He didn't have a plan. I want to be open to what the Holy Spirit would have for the church because the Holy Spirit is the heavenly administrator of the church and he makes his, his voice known through the three voices we talked about in Acts chapter 15. But look, if you will, in 1 Corinthians chapter one, because the church at Corinth, though it had problems and every church does, the church at Corinth was a very unique church. Look at verse number four, 1 Corinthians one verse four. Paul said, I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. This was a genuine church of the Lord Jesus. That in everything ye are enriched by him in all utterance and in all knowledge. God had blessed this church in that area. Verse six, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, verse seven, so that ye come behind in no gift 
waiting for the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This was an exciting church. They, they were a gifted church. They were a blessed church. They were a church endorsed by the Apostle Paul. Well, you as a pastor, well, you know, the bulk of the epistle is Paul dealing with problems. Yes, there are always problems with which to deal, but we understand that this church at Corinth was the Lord's true church, and the Lord had blessed that church. And speaking of the Lord Jesus, in verse number eight, he says, who shall confirm you unto the end, that he may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I want you to notice that, that phraseology. Blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're not quite blameless yet. If you think you are, you're not, and you're self-deceived. The Bible says one day that the church will be presented as a bride without spot and wrinkle to Christ. But at this point, we are, we are sinners saved by grace, and so we still have that brokenness about us. How can we be certain we will be presented blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ? Verse number nine, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now having said that, and demonstrated from Scripture that the Corinthian church was a church that was blessed by God, one of the Lord's true churches. If we were to read the rest of the epistle, we'd find out the church had some problems about it. There were divisions in the church. Those were based on personality cults. Someone, someone like Paul better, someone like Apollos, somebody like Peter. They all have these personality competitions going on. By the way, that according to the apostle is a mark of carnality. Well, Pastor Monty, I just like Pastor Ryan better than you. Well, bully for you, that's fine. And you should. I, love pa I like Pastor Ryan better than me a lot of times, okay? I can't say the same thing about Wall and them, but I, but I, but I say that about Pastor Ryan. But we never have a personality thing going on in church where, where we have competition personality-wise. That's carnality. There were divisions in the church. There was tolerance of an, an incestuous relationship. That's kind of wild. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that was problematic. Paul rebukes that. There were internal lawsuits, people going to sue one another before the secular courts. There was a cavalier attitude toward offending each other. Remember we talked about how Jew and Gentile needed to be careful around one another because of possible offense, that's Acts chapter 15. Uh, the guidelines given in Acts 15 are not commandments or laws of the New Testament age. They are guidelines dealing with how we fellowship with one another and we're sensitive to each other's sensitivities. They had a judgmental attitude, some of them did, and others of them had too lax an attitude in their practice of Christian liberty. Then he deals in chapter 11 with the idea of rebellious women. That was just a factor in the church, that there were some uh, that were rising up in rebellion against the created order. He talks about the misuse of the Lord's Supper, but then we get all the way to chapter 12, where he introduces the topic of the misuse of spiritual gifts. Now, right away in your mind, some of you think, okay, Pastor Monty's going to preach on tongues. I'm not going to preach on that, and I'm not going to preach in tongues, nor am I going to preach on tongues. I'm not going to do any of that. Specifically, I could do that later on, but the gifts were legitimately given by the Lord. But it is possible to practice a legitimate gift illegitimately. That is 100% possible for an individual to do. And so this was the trouble in the church. And really, there were two classifications in chapter 12 of gifts. There, and there are more than just this in the whole New Testament. But in chapter 12, he talks about basically two classifications. There were speaking gifts 
and there were sign gifts. The sign gifts were confined to the New Testament era to give a confirmation to the legitimacy of the gospel. Many of the speaking gifts, not all of them, but many of the speaking gifts continue now. But this is a, a very gifted church. And it is not illegitimate to say, because Paul says this in chapter 1, that the giftings given to the Corinthian church were legitimate gifts of the Holy Spirit. But what had happened was this. Those gifts that are given, a divine enablement to serve God beyond our natural capacity, those gifts were stirring up trouble in the church because of jealousy over this gift as opposed to that gift. There were people in the church, for example, who thought, well, you know what, I've, I've got the gift of tongues, speaking, by the way, that's speaking a known, recognizable foreign language that you do not know in the power of the Holy Spirit. Tongues is never a time about time, time about time. That's not tongues, okay? Tongues is always, and without exception of the Bible, a pastor money. But Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of angels, I'm speaking an angelic language. Time about time, time about time. Look at me. What language did angels speak when they spoke in the Bible? They always spoke the language of the people to whom they were speaking. The onus is upon you to demonstrate that there is a language of angels that differs from human language. The onus is upon you. You cannot demonstrate that from Scripture. I promised I wouldn't preach about this, and here I go preaching about it. There were the sign gifts, there were the speaking gifts. But Paul says this, in the midst of this confusion that had arisen, there are certain keys to unity that will keep the church on track. And that's what I want to focus on this morning, because unity is the hallmark of a healthy church. By the way, oh, you don't have my, oh, there it is. They put up my, a healthy body. I knew that when that went up, some people were going to be like, Pastor, why are you going to talk about the keto diet? I'm not. You brought it up, not me. Just kidding. I'm talking about the church as a body. When we talk about the church as a body, the emphasis on the word body is the local church in the New Testament. By the way, hundreds of times, over a hundred times, the word church is used in the New Testament in reference to the local church of the New Testament. I'm right away, someone's over to pass money. I'm, I'm a member of the mystical body, the universal body of Christ. Look at me carefully. That group has yet to meet. It will meet one day at the rapture. That will be the first meeting of that group. But the New Testament concerns itself with the life of the local church. And so chapter 12 concerns itself with how does the church function. And I want to notice three things, if we could please, three components of unity. Number one, number one, unity in major doctrine. Unity in major doctrine. Look at verse, uh, chapter 12, verse one. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have ye ignorant, Ye know that ye were Gentiles, that is speaking of unsaved people or pagan or heathen, carried away unto these dumb idols even as you were led. Idols that cannot speak and you got carried away with this and your paganism and your heathenism, you followed pagan idols. Then verse 3, he says something very key. Wherefore I give you to understand, Church of Corinth, get this right, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus accursed. 
and that no one can say that Jesus is the Lord but by the Holy Ghost. In chapter one, pardon me, chapter 12, verse three, Paul speaks of a component, the unity of major doctrine. I wanna talk about that for a minute because that is important. He talks about their conversion. If you look at verse number two, you know that you were Gentiles carried away into these dumb idols even as ye were led. Note there the verb tense is past. Ye were Gentiles. The word Gentile there is a word that means heathen or pagan. You were Gentiles in the past, and you were carried away to dumb idols even as ye were led. Both of those are past tense. Unity in major doctrine includes unity in the salvation experience, okay? The church is a body of people. I'm talking about the members of the church. I'm not talking about everybody that's shown up here today. The church is to be ideally comprised of a body of people who have, number one, come to personal faith in Jesus Christ. Some years ago, when we were at the old church, I had mentioned some folks wanted to join the church, and I mentioned, as I often do, that they will be interviewed by a member of one of our deacons and then a member of our pastoral staff as to their salvation testimony, doctrinal agreement, and then their name will be presented in a business meeting of the church. I, I mention that a lot when people join the church, just so they understand that there's a little bit of a process involved in that. And I had a lady come up to me, and she was in a huff. She was in a huff. And she came up to me, she said, am I to understand that if you don't believe the same thing I believe about the doctrine of salvation, that I cannot be a member of this church. And I said, yes, ma'am, you're to understand that. That infuriated her. I mean, this is right after church when I'm passing out candy. <laughs> you be mad at me when I'm passing out candy. And she was just fearful. Well, I just think the church should be a welcoming place to everyone. Oh, the church is, the church is. Anyone who desires to worship with us is welcome. Now, I'm, I'm going to throw out a couple exceptions, okay? You're not welcome to come in a bikini, ladies. Okay, we draw the line at that. We're, you know, dress modestly, okay? And men, the same thing. Men, the same thing. No shoes, no shirt, no church service. And uh, same, same thing is true, okay? You're also not allowed, and this is because I'm the pastor and I decided on this. You're also not allowed to wear Muslim garb into this church building, period. What? That is the uniform of the American, that is the uniform of the enemy of the American soldier. Okay, that is making a statement. Last time I checked the weather, there's no sandstorm scheduled for Danville, Indiana. It's unnecessary for you to wear a burqa and to cover your head. That is making a statement. By the way, nobody wears anything or carries anything into the church that is in competition with the message I preach from the Bible. I hope you heard what I just said. Now, given that is normal, pleasant appropriateness, everyone's welcome to come and hear the Word of God. You have to behave like a civilized human being. Okay, but everyone's welcome to come hear the word of God. But when it comes to church membership, that is narrowed to people who have come to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and the God of Son, uh, the Son of God and the God the Son, 
and that he died for them on the cross, that he was buried and that he rose again, and you have trusting in that for your salvation, that is one of the basis for church membership, okay? So Paul says that, he said, you were heathen, you turned away from idols. Well, you said, Pastor Monty, this doesn't, that means the church isn't very pluralistic. Yeah, you're right about that. You're right about that. Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. The apostles affirmed, there is Acts 4.12, there is none other name under heaven given among men, whereby we must be saved. What's the name? It's the name of Jesus. There isn't another savior. So in that sense, you can say it's narrow-minded or non-pluralistic, and you would be completely correct about that. He talks about unity and major doctrine regarding their salvation experience. In, but look at what else he talks about. He talks about the doctrine of Christ, okay? Verse number three, wherefore... I give you to understand, church at Corinth, that no man speaking by the Spirit of God, in other words, under the influence of the Spirit of God in his speech, no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a curse. The word accursed is the word anathema. It literally can be translated to be damned. Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calleth Jesus a cursed, and that no man can say, that Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Spirit, two strong extremes. Let me point this out. The Holy Spirit does not denigrate Jesus Christ. Now, unity in doctrine means, it doesn't mean we agree on every fine point, okay? It doesn't mean you have to agree, oh, Pastor Monty, do I have to agree with you on every fine point? No, sometimes I even change my mind about some of the finer points. But there's something you can't disagree about, and that is what the Bible says about the person and work of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit would never lead anyone to denigrate Christ. You say, what does that mean? The word denigrate, honestly, is too light a word to use in regard to the term anathema, but we'll use it because we kind of understand that better. The Holy Spirit never criticizes Jesus. In other words, listen carefully, the Holy Spirit does not minimize Christ as to who he is. It's really, really important. Well, Pastor Monty, you know what? I, uh, I don't believe Jesus performed miracles. I think Jesus was just a human being. I, I think he was a great teacher. I think he was a good moral influence, a good example. In some ways, he might have been a prophet. Certainly he was a rabbi, but, 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 but he wasn't anything beyond that. Ladies and gentlemen, if, if that's your belief, then you have a very truncated view of Jesus. While those things are true, the main point is that Jesus Christ is God incarnate, that he is God the Son, that we worship Jesus Christ as God. This, by the way, should give all of us some clarity in regard to the situation in our world today. Well, Pastor Mata, you know, uh, the Jews and the Christians and the Muslims, you all worship the same God. No, we don't. No, we don't. You see, we worship Jesus Christ. He is God. Here's a succinct way to put it. The Jesus of the New Testament is the Jehovah of the Old Testament. The Jesus of the New Testament is God in flesh. The Jesus of the New Testament reveals in his person who God is. And anything short of that is so deficient 
as to damage everything, including the doctrine of salvation. We would not minimize him. We would not misidentify him. That's very popular today. Jesus is identified and taken with with all kinds of different groups. For example, there are socialist groups now in the United States. How can you be an American and be a socialist at the same time? I have no clue. Well, Pastor Ronnie, because we just believe that all of our money should be in one big pool and everyone should get the same share. Do you really believe that? Do that with your money. Dole it out. See, all these people who cry for this are interested in spending your money, not their own. It's a, it's a most hypocritical thing. But there are some people who believe that while Jesus was a great socialist, nothing could be further from the truth. There are other people, I've even read this a while back, and I had to laugh that Jesus was a revolutionary feminist. <laughs> what? I don't see how you could get that when he chose 12 male disciples. That was the most misogynistic thing ever. Uh, Misidentify him. Some call him a feminist, some a socialist. They try to manufacture Jesus of their own devising. But that is not of the Holy Spirit of God. Who, Who is the Jesus I know? He is revealed in the pages of the Bible. He is revealed in Scripture. And all that Scripture says about Jesus, including the prophecies of him in the Old Testament and the fulfillments of him in the New Testament, all of those things are vital in understanding the doctrine of Christ. There are some who would mock him. The word anathema literally means let him be damned. That, that, that's a mockery of Christ. So, you know, and there are churches, by the way, that mock Jesus. You say, well, well Pastor, really? Oh, yeah. And I won't go into the descriptions of it, but churches that have artwork that is disgusting in its element that mock the cross of Christ. Let me make a very clear statement. That is not of the Holy Spirit of God, period. Cannot be of the Holy Spirit of God. So uh, Paul says, you don't, call, you don't denigrate Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. But he also says this in verse number three. He says, the Holy Spirit confirms Jesus' deity. Now look at verse number four. Uh, uh, and that no man, the end of the verse, that no man can say that Jesus is the Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. Jesus is the Lord. When I affirm his deity, that he is God of very God. When I affirm his deity, I am affirming precisely what the scripture says, and that affirmation comes from the Spirit of God. Now, if you want, just look at verses 4, 5, and 6. You have in those verses the mention of the Trinity. Look at verse number 4. There are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, God the Holy Spirit. There are differences of administrations, but the same Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is Lord, verse 3, Jesus is Lord. And there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God, which worketh all in all. In those three verses, placed close together, you have a reference to the Trinity, and in the midst of that, a reference to Jesus' deity, he is Lord. He is the exclusive authority, the exclusive way to salvation. Many years ago, I won't go into the whole story, but many years ago, a, a Presbyterian minister was talking to me and said something about, well, you know, I asked him, I asked him point blank. He called the meeting, not me. He called, the, he was being aggressive, not me. I'm never aggressive. He called the meeting, not me. 
And I said to him, I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and God the Son and the only Savior of the world? That's a real simple question. The correct answer is yes. And he looked at me and said, well, he said, Pastor Monty, I appreciate your zeal. But he said, I believe there are many ways to God. He said, Pastor Monty, what was your response? I looked him square in the eye, and I said, then you, sir, are an antichrist. What? Okay, okay. Some of you thought that was too aggressive. Take your Bible with me. Turn to the epistle of 1 John. The epistle of 1 John. You need to see these things in the Bible. I'm not normally an aggressive person. 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, verse 21. 1 John 2, 21. John says, I have not written unto you because ye know not the truth, but because ye know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Now look at verse 22. Who is a liar? But he that denieth that Jesus is the Christ, he is antichrist that denieth the Father and the Son. Did everyone see that? The Muslim faith denies the relationship between God the Father and God the Son. In fact, if you're a Muslim and you affirm that, that Allah, which is not the God of the Bible, that Allah has a son, you have committed the major sin in Islam. Now, I'm not making this up. You can look this up. They will often say that God, Allah, their version of God, has no son. The Bible speaks of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and God the Son. And unity as to the person and work of Jesus Christ is fundamentally essential in a Bible-believing church, listen carefully, even if it flies in the face of the culture. I am not concerned with mirroring and echoing the culture. I am concerned with the preaching of the Word of God literally and precisely verse by verse. It is not my job to repeat what the culture says. It is my job to speak of what the Bible says. And so the great unity of the church at Corinth was a doctrinal unity that was very, very important. And in specifically, it regarded the person work of Christ. It was also unity, though, in the midst of difference. And I'll hasten with this. In verse number four, Paul said this, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. What does that mean? Not everyone in a local body has the same gifting. Not everyone has the same gift. Some, some people have the gift of prophecy or the gift of preaching and speaking. Other people have the gift of helps. I think that's the majority of people in a church where they find a place to help and they faithfully help in that. There are differences in the gifting, but the differences are not a competition, but they are a unity. In other words, we don't need all, uh, all chiefs and no Indians. We d- I know what you just thought. He's so, so politically incorrect. 
I'm a product of parents who were World War II generation. My dad served in the United States Navy and the Pacific Fleet in World War II. We are not sensitive people. Unity in the midst of difference, spiritual gifts are different. Paul said this. He said, some have this, some have that. By the way, some exercise their gifts differently. That's contained in verses 4, 5, and 6. My style of preaching is different from another guy's style of preaching. Ah, oh, Pastor Monty, you know, I, I just, think, just think your style is the best style. Maybe not. Maybe not. God gifts an individual in different ways. Does everybody follow me on this? Different methods of communication, different ways. Did you know that churches, the Lord's true churches, might have different emphasis? We maybe have a different emphasis. Well, Pastor Monty, you know, that church down the road, they're not an exact carbon copy of Faith Baptist, so they're no good. No, 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 you'd be wrong about that. God leads and directs local bodies to have different ministries, different emphasis. Uh, that is all part and parcel with the New Testament. But in the midst of all of this, in the local congregation, there is to be unity. There is unity. There are many members, but there's one body, verse number 20. There are different members, but all are important. Drop down to uh, verse 21, chapter 12, verse 21. And the eye cannot say to the hand, now he's comparing the church, the local church, to the human body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of thee. So if my eye could talk, and my eye was like, hey hand, I don't have any need of you. Wait a minute, the eye does have need of the hand because it's the hands that put on the glasses. He said, Pastor Monty, it's, it's a silly illustration. No, no, it's an extreme illustration that the physical body is in Paul's writing an illustration or picture of what the church is to be like. Well, Pastor Monty, I just want to be the right hand. Well, maybe you're going to be the left. That's God's choosing. Pastor Monty, I want to be the brain. I know we don't have one of those on the staff, so we might have to work on that. Just kidding. Pastor Monty, I want to be the tongue, the mouthpiece. Pastor Monty, I want to be the feet, okay? God makes that decision in the local church. And you know what our job is? Our job is to find our gifting and then to plug into that area of gifting. Gifts and methods and ministries do not always look alike, but according to verses 7 through 10, there is a mutual benefit. In other words, and I love that about this church. Do you know how different this church is? We got rich people, we got poor people. We got all kinds of people. We got every socioeconomic level. We've got people from every possible background. And it's not just one homogeneous mixture of people that are all in absolute conformity and everything. And ladies and gentlemen, according to the word of God, that's a strength. That's a strength. It's not a weakness. It is a strength of our church. And so unity was based on doctrine. Unity is based also in differences. And then lastly, unity is based in devotion. Look at chapter 12, verse 25. What is the purpose of all this? God's variously gifting people. What is the purpose? Verse 25, that, this is a purpose clause in the Greek New Testament, that there should be, there should be no schism or division that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And then he goes into that in detail, verse 26. Whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice in it. Do you know this? A healthy body doesn't fight itself. 
doesn't fight itself. Now, there is such a thing called autoimmune disease. What is an autoimmune disease? There are some 80 different autoimmune diseases. What is an autoimmune disease? It is where the body, usually the immune system, actually fights itself, maybe recognizing an enemy that is not an enemy. There are over 80 different types of these. They include things like rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, psoriasis, things like that. An autoimmune deficiency or disease causes the body to attack itself. You pass the money, that's just not normal. The, the body should be for the body, not attacking the body, right? As Paul said, the body is the local church. We don't attack ourselves, we support ourselves in devotion to one another. A healthy body functions to care for itself and other members. What are the members? The physical body, the hand, the feet, the fingers, whatever it may be. A healthy body feels the pain of other members. Some people have some troubles in their life, don't, don't they? A healthy church family feels their pain. You ever get a sliver on your finger? Anyone ever get a sliver? A sliver of wood. Has anyone ever had a sliver? Okay, raise your hands. By the way, it's hard to get a sliver when all you do is swipe through Facebook. But if, if, if you're a real human being, you've had a sliver in your finger. When you, do you notice whenever you have a sliver in your finger, it's kind of all you can think about? How many notice that? Yeah, do you know the whole body gets anxious about that, and, and uh, you, what do you do? You take a, a tweezers and try to get it, but then it breaks off, right? And then you have to take the next step and sterilize a needle with an alcohol rub, and then you kind of poke at it. How many have ever done that? And by the way, by the way, I do that myself because everybody else who pokes at it is violent, okay? <laughs> it's, it's like Hamas came after my finger, and, and I gently poke and, and pry. That's the whole body being concerned about that one little body part that is out of sorts. That is an illustration of how the church is to respond. By the way, it's also this. You don't cut your finger off because you have a sliver. The whole body shows concern. Well, what is unity in the church? Unity is based upon major doctrines. Unity also exists in the midst of differences. And then unity and devotion. We love one another. We love one another. Hey, when someone wins, we cheer them on. Yay, legs, you, run, you ran the foot race and you won. Yay, 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 legs. When someone is hurting, we love them and embrace them because that is all what we do as part of the body. What's the purpose of all this? Paul said it that there be no schism in the body. I love our church. I love our church because I feel like we in many ways fulfill this. We can sharpen it, of course, but we in many ways fulfill this vision. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. There's so much more that could be said. What a beautiful illustration that the local church is like a body. We need every part. There's no superfluous members to our body. There are no superfluous members to our church. Father, help us to see that and help us to be those who promote the great unity of the Lord's church, knowing that it is his visible representation, his visible body in this locality. Thank you for all of your love. We pray that you'll speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Stand with